Welcome back to episode nine of the Web3 show. My name's Luca, the front man of the show, and I'm fresh off of the plane from sunny South Africa back to the beautiful, cloudy, rainy UK. Um, most people, I think, would be depressed getting back from holiday, but I'm quite excited because I can spend more time uh, chatting with these two de- degenerates that I that I call my podcasting team. Um, also, I'm joining uh, your guy, your guy in Trad Five back in Europe. So we not, I'm not the only one. Uh, he's not the only one in uh, in the dark most of the time. Um, as always, we've got Galactic Q, um, Red Pulls in hand, and a fiery market update. I I assume um, coming shortly. And of course, your guy in Trad Five. Good to be back in Europe with you, brother. Um, I got to uh, back in uh, back in South Africa when I. When I was on holiday, I got to meet up with with Q himself in person for the first time in two years. Hey, and uh, offline, yeah, I wanted to get us. I, I wanted to get us online as quick as possible because he was he was giving me a he was nearly brought me to tears. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, hey? I realized after after it's like just over two years of not seeing you and just being you know interacting during this time. Over socials, I realized when I when I gave you that hug alone, man, I was I was like, "Fuck, I missed this guy." <laughs> so it was definitely it was definitely a bro moment, a bromance. <laughs> love it, love it. That, yeah, and I mean, cheapers, bro. We sat, we chatted for like three hours, tackling, you know, life, Web three, crypto, finance, like. You know, chatting about mates and how things are and, developed from school. And bearing in mind, days. bearing in mind, this was meant to be a social uh, meetup and uh, you know catch up, but we ended up talking about crypto for eighty-five percent of the time. <laughs> Literally, but I mean, but I mean, let's be honest, right? I think that was probably the most fulfilling conversation I've had in the last like twelve months. Um, 100 percent. So I mean, I was definitely yeah. I felt like a new human after I saw you, bro. <laughs> well, I'll take that. And listen, when we get together for the first time in Portugal later this year, um, the Web3 show's internal summit, <laughs> it's going to be, <laughs> there's going to be some great conversation. And yeah, I mean, listen, like, it, I think, to be honest, like, seeing people in person just changes the whole dynamic. Like, Luca, when I saw you in London last year, it just changed the whole you know, change the whole dynamic. It's completely different over speaking to Zoom and we can just talk about crypto more freely and stuff. Um, but yeah, we're still we're still carrying on. We're still here. Um, episode nine, boys, next, next week, episode 10, big milestone. Um, but yeah, let's get into the, the market update. Q, break it down for us, brother. We touched 39, 39K today, hey? <laughs> Um, yeah, what, what was it? 39,250. Yeah. And lowest points in September, the 21st, um, down 40% from the November all time high. Give us a breakdown of what happened in the last week and, uh, the crash, the flash crash that happened on Saturday. Well, firstly, I was on a, I was on a community AMA for my NFT project over the last two hours, and I didn't realize we actually flashed all the way to 39K, which means my long entry on a nice leverage trade got triggered at 40K on the dot. So I'm pretty <laughs> sitting here on a bit of profit, which is great. <laughs> so Low-key yeah, flex, low-key yeah. flex, low-key flex. Okay, okay, okay. I like it. So in, a, in a decent little, what's it, Monday evening trade here? Not financial uh, advice, yeah, not right. financial advice. 
not financial advice. But basically, guys, the markets have been a bit grim over the past couple of weeks, as we've covered in the previous episode, Market Watch updates. Um, we have seen Bitcoin pull back around 40% now from its highs uh, in November last year, at 60, just above 65K. Um, I think we pushed to 68, if I'm not mistaken. Um, these pullbacks are natural, guys. John, we sorry, it was actually 69. It was 69 on the dot. Oh, All-time high. I stand corrected, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, obviously these corrections are normal. Uh, these are what we like to see in the market. It creates a healthy market. It creates a platform for a sustained rally. Um, and, you know, the, the, the period that we're going through now, if you look on the daily charts, is very similar to what we experienced in May last year. We had the initial whip to 29K in May. Then we pushed all the way back up to the high 30s. And then eventually went into this range-bound motion where we formed a descending triangle leading down towards the 30K zone before we bounced and had the massive breakout to all-time high rallies. Um, this is a very similar scenario and state that we're currently going through in the market if you look on macro levels. Um, we've had the first wick. We've had the second retest. So what I do see as happening here is a bounce at these levels in the 39 to 42K zone, um, a push up to 46 to 48K, likely a rejection there for one more retest down to the 40K level before we push back and continue a strong run into Feb and March. So short term, I'm bearish. Um, I am entering into a couple of scalp trading longs um, right now, as I mentioned at the start of the call. Um, I mean, we're getting a lot of bounce action between the 40,000 and 42,000 zones. So there's definitely opportunity to take um, some some positions there. But if you want to trade the macro swings, I think 40K will be the bottom zone. I do think we get one more swing low after a slight relief rally. Um, but then after that, we're off to the races. If we look at fear and greed index as well as just an indicator of fear in the market, We've been consistently sub 30, which is extreme fear for the last 30 days, the weekly and the dailies. So it's been a long period of extreme fear in the markets. There's obviously uncertainty with the Fed and quantitative easing measures. And to be honest, I think largely crypto is overreacting to what's going to be happening in the macro markets. Um, so I do see a strong push and a strong bounce, especially for some of the bigger layer ones. The other interesting thing that we're noticing on the charts is that a lot of money is not flooding back into Bitcoin during this volatility period. Previously in Bitcoin's history, whenever there's been strong periods of volatility in the market, everyone floods their capital back into Bitcoin. Right now, what we're noticing is there's a lot of capital and money flow moving into the big layer one strong fundamentals and plays like Phantom, like Dots, like um, Solana and various other projects. A lot of these are down from all-time highs. Um, I think the project showing a lot of strength at the moment is Anthem. Um, naturally so, uh, with it being a booming ecosystem with some incredible yield farming opportunities. But yeah, it's just an interesting thing to consider. If you are looking to play the altcoin market, I would avoid low caps and really just focus on those strong, big, fun, strong fundamental, big team backing um, layer one protocols, because I do think that those are gonna have the biggest and most successful bounce when we do flip bullish and I think bottom is very close. I think 40K will be the daily bottom, um, but that's not to say we can't whip to 38 or 39K again. Um, but ultimately, as long as we're putting in macro higher lows um, above the 30, 32K zone, uh, we're still in our macro trend on the daily. 
um, which means we're on track for the next push up in the market. Both you there? Yeah, John. I just have a just have a follow follow up to you on the uh, when you when you mentioned the the big layer one platforms. You said Phantom first, <laughs> which I find uh, fascinating. Um, especially, I mean, that that's probably a a big vote of confidence from yourself. And I know Luca Luca's also very very bullish on Phantom. And I did also see that um, uh, it flipped the fa- the Phantom ecosystem flipped Avalanche recent this past week, right? For total value locked or daily transaction value into their DeFi, into their DeFi platform, basically. So yeah. am I correct in saying huge, uh, very bullish on that uh, platform here eh? over others? Yeah. Just, just before we dive into Phantom, I just wanted to bring up one more indicator on the Bitcoin charts and Ethereum charts. Um, one thing that is a very common indicator to look at is the RSIs, and this is your relative strength, strength index. But specifically viewing the stock RSI, which is basically your stochastic RSI, which looks at relative uh, strength index accounted for with most recent price action. And what we're noticing on daily, weekly, and monthly trends is that we've bottomed out on all of those um, RSIs. We're literally as low as we can go. The last time Bitcoin bottomed out on the monthly RSI was at $10,000 a Bitcoin, and we all know the rally it had at that point. So when we do see these macro bottoms on not only RSIs, but multiple indicators, um, this is usually strong sentiment of the market nearing a bottom. Um, I do think that the rest of Jan is going to kind of be consolidation uh, before we push up towards the end of Jan. So don't expect fireworks yet, but just know that the bottom is near. Um, DCA into the market at this point uh, is probably not a bad idea. Not financial advice, obviously. Um, but yeah, just know that the bottom is coming, so don't miss your opportunity to get into those layer one protocols, uh, which are all on huge discounts at the moment. Um, but yeah, to jump into Phantom, our, our resident guy in TradFi here, he's deep in the in the yield farm, you know, Phantom. I think he's probably, you know, in the, the deepest in the rabbit hole in the underbelly of the ecosystem. Um, but from my side, I'm noticing a lot of uh, transaction volume happening on Phantom. There's been a lot of direct on-chain metrics showing money uh, and wallets flooding from Avalanche directly into Phantom. So I do see a Phantom season coming uh, when the market flips bullish. We've already seen Phantom have strong price sentiment with its breakout from $2.20 the other day and it's pushed to $3 um, before it's pulled back now on retest of the daily breakout. So definitely trading Phantom at the moment. Got a long-term hold on it as well. Super bullish on the ecosystem. Amazing team of founders. Uh, it's definitely got a long road ahead of it. And John's just um, so, so the 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 follow-up I wanted to make on you on just the macro outlook for the rest of the year. I read an article uh, on block uh, on the block uh, that basically said quoted someone from a crypto trading firm, an analyst who who reckons that because of the the central bank tightening that we've seen the Fed saying, you know, more there's going to be more rate hikes sooner um, than previously expected, that basically the, the all-time highs of Bitcoin and ETH will remain capped for most of 2022. And I assume that means, you know, maybe get back up to the all-time all-time highs but maybe not break them or, or retest them essentially 
what are your guys uh also luca i mean what are your what's what are your guys take on that do you agree disagree do you think yeah look i'm 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 not quite as uh bullish as uh, galactic q here um I, I do think the risk is real of just a really choppy yeah um I, I think that, yeah, we, we'll definitely see a relief rally. I mean, these technical indicators are all pointing to it. Um, but I think you're going to have to play your cards really carefully that you don't end up being exit liquidity. I mean, fundamentally, you've got to ask yourself the question, risk-reward, right? Sure, if you if you time the bottom perfectly, uh, you've, you've got a lot of upside, right? But, you know, if you play it a bit safer, kind of wait for more of a macro shift, you know, potentially maybe the the Fed walks back some of its kind of uh, hawkish statements, you know, maybe we're going to see some t- uh, a little bit less tightening throughout the year. Then, you know, markets start kind of looking a bit healthier and then you, you start buying at that point, basically. I mean, I, I think one just needs to weigh up the options because like crypto... Um, is a sponge for excess liquidity in the market. And I think that the risk is very real that we have these kind of short-term upwards movements, but then they just kind of get stomped out and then we turn, well, we sustain the kind of macro bearish trend. Yeah, and then and then also in the same note, Luca, with crypto being a sponge with for excess liquidity in a sell-off, it's probably the the vertical that gets hit the hardest out of all the markets. Um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, all the big guys that have been in a long time, I mean, there are a few people that are kind of able to stay objective. Um, and, and I mean, what they were saying is, you know, yeah, we've crashed, right? But, you know, there's nothing stopping us crashing another 60 to 80%. Like, there, there really isn't. Um, but 60 percent to eighty percent would take what Bitcoin all the way back down to um, no, no public math, but not what twenty? Bitcoin. Okay, okay. Then what? Then... Not, not necessarily Bitcoin. Okay. I mean, you've got a lot of a lot of these other chains, right? I mean, you've got a lot of projects on these chains. You've got uh, GameFi, for example, of... like like Q's been talking about for the yeah. past few weeks, well, months. Absolutely. I, I mean. Quinette, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, we, we can still see quite a bit of downside there um, before kind of valuations are corresponding more to kind of the revenues created by these protocols, uh, be that through through uh, fees or, or other mechanisms. Um, yeah. no, I, I mean, just, just generally, I think there'll be a huge shift in, and I mean, this could offset some of the macro bearish uh, tones if we see a huge shift of capital towards value. Yeah. Let, right, like just, towards protocols, fundamental technologies like Bitcoin, where there's no team with a roadmap behind it. Yeah. No, just to just to sort of touch on a few points you've made there. Um, I do agree. I, I definitely am a bit more bullish on the crypto market as a whole. But that being said, I do think it's going to be a choppy year. We're in agreement there. Um, I do think with the Fed, with the uncertainty of the virus, with the uncertainty of what's going on with the global economic status, um, you know, what's happening in the space, I think there's going to be a lot of volatility. 
And, you know, with that, we will see these macro upswings and these macro downswings. And I think that the downswings are going to be very violent and the upswings are going to be very gradual. And we're going to kind of see this. Yeah, just, just, yeah. John's just to maybe just add, add one point. You know, I saw the most ridiculous numbers the other day. Uh, price growth in Phantom Jan to Jan was like, John's, uh, I, I mean, it was like, it was like 150 X or something. Yeah. No, a lot of these, like, I mean, you can't, if you, if you see 150 X in one year, like there's absolutely no reason this thing can't tank 70%. Luca, I saw today well, total, well, total value locked on Phantom, uh, February, 2021 was $6,000,000 today. Oh, no, sorry. I'm a. 200 million or something now it's 6 billion and like i mean that's you, you can do the math that's that's an exorbitant amount Look, I'm, I'm not saying i mean i'm not because, saying phantom is going to tank all i'm saying is of course phantom's not unique in the fact that it's up 150x it's just an and example I mean, of many of, of is, many you know phantom is growing so definitely there's a there's a strong bullish case for phantom in the sense that capital will go from weaker chains into phantom so even if the total crypto market cap is, is declining throughout the year, um, you could still see Phantom outperform. So I think it's it's worth speaking about kind of tokens in a relative sense um, rather yeah. than absolute sense. I mean, what we're kind of seeing at the moment when it comes to market sentiments is the shift towards layer ones and the bigger developed projects, projects that have business models, that have functioning products um, and that have strong teams behind them. And a lot of that money is shifting out of things like Bitcoin and out of the low to medium cap uh, plays, whether it be DeFi or gaming or metaverse. And I think a lot of people are noticing, you know, I have been speaking about it over every single episode, basically, is about a pullback in GameFi and metaverse. And, you know, we have largely seen a macro pullback in the overall market. But Metaverse is still sitting 100, 200x above where it was six, seven months ago. And, you know, that's not a sustainable rally. Going to a lot of those charts, you'll see just straight candles going up with no retests of consolidation points and retests to form strong uh, pullback levels and bounce resistance zones. Um, so with that, I think we'll see a very choppy year, but we'll definitely see niches do better than others. Um, similar to what we had last year where the niches was NFT and GameFi um, and Metaverse from the made up this year, I think we're going to see layer one protocol niches where things like, for example, Phantom has a boom. And, you know, then we have likely a Polkadot season with the parachain auction deployments being successful. Then we likely have a, another Solana ecosystems with the new developments happening there. Um, you know, Terra Luna with its burn mechanism and the mass adoption of UST and the mass PBL boom in Anchor Protocol with its 20% APY. You know, there's various factors that are going to create micro niches um, and micro pushes in the market. So when we have pullbacks, we might get a 70%, a further 70, 60% correction in Metaverse at the moment. That's not to say that the entire layer one protocol market will pull back as well. And this is why we're starting to see a lot of money flood mm. into these layer one protocols for the year of 2022. And it'll be very important to take advantage of these volatility swings when it comes to the macroeconomics uh, side 
um, and the Fed and what they're doing. So paying close attention to that news will allow you to play the volatility swings. And, you know, I think the prices we see now in Jan 2022 uh, for a lot of the layer one protocols is going to be many multiples less than what we're going to see by the end of 2022. Because we're noticing these booms in TVL, these booms in DeFi, these booms in the fundamental plays, it's not just retail buyers. Retail is gone. It's whales left in the market. It's institutional investment. It's VC and hedge fund investment, which means that there's fundamental backing of the technology that's getting developed. It's not paper hands. The paper hands have left. They left on the 60, 70% crash we had in May last year. They came back and they've left again on this 40% crash. So basically the bottom line here is on macro daily scales and weekly scales, we're putting in higher loads, which means that we flush our paper hands, we flush out leverage in the markets and institutions in Wales buy the dip. And then we move into the next phase. So there's always going to be 40, 50, 60% pullbacks in every project, no matter how strong the fundamentals are. But as the technology develops, we start noticing the key ecosystem plays. And those are the ones with business models, with teams, with funding and backing to support bear market development, rather than projects that are namely ideas that just rely on a bull market to, to support those ideas. I, I agree with you. I agree with you, John. I mean, venture capital funding is not going to get less this year, I think. Um, I mean, crypto is, is, you know, definitely bullish long term. I think one one just needs to uh, be be careful buying the dip. I think. For sure. Yeah. And just to round out, and just to round out that section, um, we heard uh, J. Carl on the All In Pod. Uh, I think it was on their 2022 predictions show last week, where they, or at least he, made the prediction that 2022 is the asset test year for crypto, where projects need to. Start delivering on product, and um, you know the the people who don't, or the projects who don't rather, will get pushed out and basically you know get eliminated from the game. And maybe that that ties into the broader market spectrum. If we do have contagion from traditional markets, the Fed you know is uh, tightens for the year and 2022 is more rocky than we all anticipate, um, you know, that broader uncertainty actually comes to fruition, then the projects that do have key value um, to them and the products, good teams, like John, John T was saying, those will win out in the long term. Um, so yeah, thanks Q. Uh, unless you have anything else to add, let's move to the, the next uh, segment of the show, a quick one. Um, well, yeah, I mean, not a, uh, don't want to skate. Don't want to skate too much over this. Uh, but basically, you would have heard hints over the past. Uh, you know, obviously the the our entire um, episode library, Jonty dropping a few hints here and there about an NFT, pro a small NFT project he's been launching, uh, and we thought it would be a a, a good uh, portion of the episode just to quiz him and and grill him maybe a bit about. The project um john's maybe you can give us a rundown of what your nft project you you've been building is and um you know where it's where it's centered what 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 was your inspiration for it how did it come about and um yeah we're just going to have a conversation and maybe build out a bit of a framework or a mental model on how anyone can build out their own nft project and um you know leveraging 
Jonty's own experience. Um, so, John, what uh, what's your what's the NFT project called? How did it come about? And just describe some of the, some of the key um, uh, sort of characteristics of the project. Yeah, I and, mean, and where sure. are you in the project at the moment, John? I don't. I don't know. Listeners, uh, don't know yeah, the key thing as well. <laughs> well, guys, definitely a good time to plug. Um, <laughs> so, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, so the project's called Wild Safari. Uh, we are a full out of Africa project. Um, the whole development team is based in South Africa. Um, and ultimately, we built this project called Wild Safari um, on the basis of giving back. So not only giving back to charity initiatives and various conservation efforts, but also giving back through unparalleled utility for our holders that hold the NFTs. And this largely comes for, from integration into our play-to-earn metaverse style ecosystem, um, where we're signing up with gaming guilds and developing a full skill-based arcade-style gamefly mechanism um, where you can go in there and play-to-earn and redeem for, for wearables. Um, basically, how we came about this project, um, I, a little bit about me. I've been trading since I was 13. I uh, started trading the stock markets uh, throughout school. I used to sit in my ECOs and ALO classes while the rest of the class was doing their work. I was sitting there trading some some pharmaceutical stocks um, and, you know, <laughs> learning how the charts work. Uh, I think my most successful trade there was Aspen. I did like a 300% trade there. Um, <laughs> and it was, all, it was all small fry compared to what you get in crypto, of course. Um, then got into crypto a couple of years ago, but in addition to that, I've been deep in the videography and safari, uh, documenting space, um, and the creative realm where I've been taking photos for some super prestigious lodges spread all over Africa. And one thing that's become very close to my heart is the conservation narratives and protection of these animals that are going critically endangered in Africa, namely the rhino, the leopard, the wild dog, and all these various other species that people don't expect are going extinct, but actually are. And if we don't preserve and protect our natural habitat here in Africa, it's going to be a very different country or continent over the next decade. So I met a a guy named Pete, who's a co-founder of Wild Safari with me. Um, He's done a lot of charity initiatives when it comes to community initiatives. Um, You know, we had uh, periods of protests here down in South Africa, and he was at the forefront of you know, community supportive initiatives, feeding people that were out of food due to the protests and all of those things. And we met it for a coffee one day, uh, where we actually met at the gym. Then we went for a coffee and then we decided to build an NFT project together. And then six months later, here we are (laughs) developing a full Africa. Basically our narrative is Africa changing the metaverse. And, you know, we, we, we kind of developing this full narrative. Um, Ultimately we got our public mint on Wednesday uh, we've had huge boom in the community. Um, yeah, we've we've got our development plans ready. We've got our priority roadmap ready. Um, and basically, we're going to be launching our WLD utility token. We're going to be launching our Metaverse DAO, uh, which is going to be an $800,000 community treasury DAO. Um, we've got our GameFi ecosystem uh, with some uh, interested VC investments from various Metaverse firms. Um, and... Yeah, we've got a strong six-month development plan ahead of us post-mint. So definitely looking forward to that. So your idea is delivering sustained value for holders and at the same time actually 
having an impact, right? And also an emphasis on kind of documenting this impact as well. Like I've seen a few videos floating around of, of kind of your charity partners, right? Well, the the kind of lodges you've been supporting, etc. Yeah, no, exactly. We we ultimately, you know, want to make tangible change in the world, bridge that gap between metaverse and reality. Um, we know that metaverse is quite a hard concept for one to wrap their head around, but we want to show the world that it can make a tangible difference in the real world, um, you know, to try to bridge that idea of mass adoption and that narrative of being crypto friendly. A lot of people in Africa are unsure of what crypto is. There's a lot of people globally that are unsure of what crypto is, that don't understand it. And something that we strive for is this giving back narrative to really help show the benefits that cryptocurrency, NFT projects, and metaverse can do for the world. Um, and with this, obviously, our DAO will be a revenue-generating DAO, um, where our play-to-earn mechanisms will be generating revenue for continued longevity of our treasury. Um, and a percent allocation of that treasury will always be distributed to charity initiatives as well, where we'll actually allow our community to vote on those initiatives. So it almost forms a charity DAO within the metaverse DAO as well. So basically, basically going beyond just uh, distributing a JPEG and uh, you know for your own for your own gain or for for the for the holders' gain, uh, just to flip. Uh, there is a there is a bigger purpose to this whole thing. Um, John's just a just just a, like if you could if you could uh, humor me for a second, going back to the beginning, right when you and Pete started, reflecting on that on on the start, if you were to go back now. Would you do anything differently and maybe run through, you know, tying into that um, first, what did you guys do at the beginning? Was it, did you have like a period of where you were sort of scoping out different projects, talking to people, figuring out sort of how they did it and, and sort of drawing out a blueprint or did you just dive in, do your own thing? And then if you went back, would you do anything differently? Yeah, I mean... You know, initially when we sat down and uh, decided to build an NFT project together, we were both obviously not incredibly educated in the NFT space. We had both been a part of NFT trading. Um, you know, both of us traded various projects like Doge Pound and IMX Punks and, you know, Galactic Punks and, you know, Galactic Apes and various other different blue chip projects out there. And, you know, this... We, we kind of went into this adopting philosophies from those successful projects. Um, I mean, we were hopping on networking calls with various project founders two to three times a day, you know, discussing what the learning curves for them was. And, you know, one thing is we noticed is that every single project has a different success method. Not, you know, one method for a certain project may not work for another project, no matter how successful it is. And, you know, if I had to go back in time, there's a lot of things that I wouldn't have spent marketing budget on. Uh, there was a lot of trial and error when it came to figuring out what the most effective uh, marketing methods were. And, you know, there's a lot of bad actors in the space, um, a lot of scams that one could fall for, you know, people promising you the moon, but ultimately, you know, giving you a grain of sand instead. And it's kind of... Yeah, there, there were a lot of lessons learned on the way, a lot of ETH spent on the way because the whole project was self-funded by myself and Pete. 
Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been one hell of a ride. So definitely if I had to go back, it would be streamlining the marketing structure and definitely picking the right ecosystem from the start, because we did initially launch on Immutable X, which is a phenomenal platform, but unfortunately Immutable X is too early on in development to support the narrative that we're going for. Um, so they wouldn't be able to handle our fundamental development uh, of our roadmap. So we had to have our close out our Genesis Mint uh, on Immutable X and ultimately shift the public Mint to Ethereum mainnet, which is on the 12th. So something you mentioned there, John, you said there were there were things you, you, you if you went back, you wouldn't spend any marketing budget on. Uh, could you mention some of the things that that, you know, that you did spend on that you shouldn't have? Um, so maybe if someone else is launching their own NFT project, they can maybe sort of pick up on red flags when they come across them on the early, in the early days. Um, and I know you mentioned to me when we were chatting, uh, like that there was a big, you know, on an influencer base that there were, you know, people you paid money to, but you didn't get anything in return for, but anything else that, you know, people need to look out for. Yeah, well, firstly, the biggest cheats in crypto, uh, when I say cheat, I mean like biggest shortcut method to any success in crypto is build a personal brand. If you've got a following or an influence, uh, you influencer over a certain base community, you can sell anything, you can do anything and you can promote anything. And this is one of the biggest learning curves that both Pete and myself had to, had to realize um, having not had our own personal brand. Um, and it's both something both of us want to develop for this year. But ultimately with that, we had to source influencers. And, you know, there's two types of influencers in the space. Ones that are established, um, genuine, and, you know, have developed their own communities through, um, you know, proving to their community that they're there, they're successful, they're, you know, making good calls, they're sharing valuable information, and they ultimately have a product to offer. And the second type of influencers, which just take ETH for, for, for posts and, you know, run on more of a transactional base than a relationship base. And, you know, one thing that I'll definitely go back and change is the amount of ETH we spent on transactional relationships with influencers, because ultimately at the end of these day, end of the day, when you pay for a service, you know, it's not in their best interest, how well the project does. The fact is they've been paid, they make the post, and then they move on. And we ran into tons of issues with various influencers um, revolving around this. And what we realized is that the most crucial element in a successful NFT project is organic reach and organic pickup. You can't pay the big boys to pick up on your project. You have to be noticed by them. So ultimately working to get to that level where you get picked up by the likes of Elio Trades or Alex Becker or Journey Crypto, you know, Crypto Banter or various other big communities like that, you really have to be thinking out of the box and doing something different. And yeah, I mean, if I could just suggest one thing or advise one thing towards people starting out their own NFT or, you know, even not an NFT project, even a DeFi project or, you know, whatever it may be, Organic reach should be the crucial goal. And, you know, with that comes growth in your community, uh, comes successful actors in the space, and it comes with, you know, influencers that share the vision of your project rather than just want some ease to move on. On 
On that point, John, so just a question. Uh, one thing I'm noticing as absence is kind of uh, a, a point on equity. I mean, was there, were you ever in any uncomfortable negotiations? I mean, how typical was it for influencers to want equity in the project and kind of what was uh, your one to be on that? Yeah, I mean, we definitely reserved equity in the project to bring on influencers uh, for an ongoing base. But one thing we noticed again with the with the bigger players, more established players in the influential space, we realized that they're sitting on tons of capital already. They're sitting with 100 projects a day. You know, they're sitting with all these different, they, they're swamped with what's being offered to them. And one thing I've noticed is that equity is something that they don't actually really go for um, unless it's the next DeFi play, you know, or, or some form of IDO base. But when it comes to NFT projects, seldomly equity is accepted um, as an established influencer. But with less established influencers and smaller players in the space, they do go for the equity bite. Um, and this is something that we've been exploring with various influencers offering, offering them equity uh, in return for promotion of the project and marketing and ongoing support. Um, because obviously with equity comes vested interest and with vested interest comes hard work. Yeah, I mean, also how do you, uh, like, I mean, how would that structurally look like? Uh, I mean, you know, is, is it does equity mean a, a portion of mint supply at zero cost? Does it mean revenue of the DAO down the line? Um, so, how, how would like an, an equity split actually look like? So, yeah, basically it predominantly revolves around mint revenue because most people in the NFT space knows that NFT, any NFT project that sells out on mint is generating anywhere between two to five million dollars um, on mint day. And, you know, depending on how successful their mint is and if they sell out. So most influencers that accept equity want equity in that initial upfront revenue generation, because then what comes after that is a couple months of development to reach the utility products. Um, and the only sort of income stream at that point is royalties from open market trading. And if the project is not developing fast enough, open market trading tends, tends to die off. So it's not a sound investment for, for bigger players. So generally the, yeah, the, the goal is, you know, mint, uh, mint equity so that they receive percent allocation um, of the total revenue generated at Mint. Um, and then obviously this is coded into the smart contract with their wallet address and the percent that they're going to be earning. John's just, just conscious of time before we wrap up the episode, uh, maybe a few more uh, quick fire questions. Just one on community. What do you think, what has been the biggest challenge for you building a community? And like you say, obviously not having a big, you know, personal brand or following. Um, hopefully that can change in, in 2022 uh, once Wild Safari blows, blows up. Um, but what has been the biggest challenge with community building through this project? Um, and what has been the most important thing to focus on in that? Because I mean, when I think about it, it must be quite daunting, you know, trying to persuade people to believe in something um, that's, you know, pretty random unless they know you personally or, you know, that's completely unrelated to them. Um, how do you, how do you and Pete think about that? And uh, yeah, what, what are the biggest challenges you've seen with community building? Well, you know, the, the, the biggest 
the two biggest challenges are one, engagement, and two, trust. And, you know, the, the, the easiest way to counteract trust is full transparency. Um, you know, being open and honest with the community, uh, doxing yourself. Um, you know, anonymous teams don't generally go as um, down as well as teams that are open about who they are. Um, so obviously in our project, we're open to our community. We've had video chats with our holders. They know who we are. Um, and this is something that we're proud of because we want to put our names to our project. Um, so when it comes to transparency, it's in high demand from communities for belief in a project. Um, when they don't see transparency, people get nervous, people get shaky, and they kind of tend to put the, the project on the bottom of their list. Um, but one thing that I've learned is, yeah, showing full transparency, tons of AMAs, tons of, you know, open, open conversation with the community has really resulted in a healthy, healthy growth. Um, I mean, we're sitting at 17,600 members on our Discord now. Um, we've got thousands of people engaging every day that are all supporting the narrative. We just had an AMA now before this podcast recording. You know, we had tons of new users from all over the world tuning in and, you know, there to support the project. Um, and, you know, the second thing that, yeah, that's a challenge is obviously engagement. One thing that I've learned is there's three types of people in the NFT community. Uh, one, you've got your diehard community members, which are sitting there active on the chats for hours every day, um, engaging with community members, sharing their hype and stoke for the project you know, telling people to check out the roadmap and really just diving deep into the community, partaking in giveaways and all those things. The second group of people, which is generally the largest demographic, uh, you know, what we've experienced with our project and also what we've chatted to a lot of other successful project founders um, that they experience as well, is the users that don't engage but sit on the sidelines. And this is a group of, of people that you know, follow the announcement channels that follow what the project's doing, but don't necessarily feel the need to engage with the project. So to get those guys really engaging is tough. Um, so it's just important to note that you got to make your announcements comprehensive and understandable so that these guys can get the full rundown of what's going on in the project when you do make big announcement posts to the community. Um, I mean, me personally, I flip a lot of NFTs. I'm on about 50 different NFT discords and I haven't sent a message into any of them for the last three months. Um, and that's just because I don't feel the need to, but I track all the announcement channels to keep up to date with what the projects are doing. So there are those actors. And then lastly, obviously you've got your bots and your malicious actors. Um, so weeding out these people from the community, removing bots actively every day is a challenge that the moderator teams have to handle. Thankfully, I don't. <laughs> um, and we've got a very successful moderation team of about 10 people that are actively removing bad actors and bots from the space um, each and every day. So and just explain yeah. what a moderation team is. So a moderation team are basically like the Discord police. Um, they're the guys basically in the Discord, promoting engagement, talking to newcomers, welcoming members into the Discord, answering any pressing questions that new members or community members may have. Um, they're guys that kind of help Pete and I engage in the community as well um, and ultimately make sure that the rules are being obeyed, that there's no bad actors, spammers, scammers, or people that are being malicious towards other community members. Um, so they're the guys that are muting or banning people if they're bad actors or rewarding people with XP for being beneficial in the community 
Um, so yeah, they are a crucial element to a successful community is having a strong moderation team. Luca, uh, do you have any more, just a final question or two for John? So I have a final question for him. Um, you got anything else? Yeah, maybe, John, what was the one thing that you felt helped you um, break through the deafening noise of the NFT space? I mean, there are just thousands of projects clamoring for people's attention. What was the one thing that kind of stood out to you in your strategy that you think kind of got you this genuine uh, community? Well, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing for our project is the giving back initiatives. So not only the metaverse and the play to own structures and the revenue generation, which is the key elements of our project, but a lot of people, you know, a lot of people in the NFT space, which has been going on for a couple months now in terms of its boom phase, um, people have been rugged. People have been lied to. People have been left holding bags of JPEGs that, you know, the teams just kind of walked away with mint profit and all of that. And, you know, people that have been a part of projects where, you know, the community treasury gets nothing and the team just takes it all. And one thing that I've noticed people seek in the NFT space is a project they can trust and a project that supports good karma. And ultimately that's what we have with our charity initiatives and our full transparency about who we are, what we're doing and when we're doing. Um, our holders get daily updates from us and all those things. And this sort of stuff creates strong engagement uh, for our members. Um, so, yeah, definitely one of the standing points for us, what's helped us with engagement a lot is the confidence in Keith and I as founders, um, the transparency that we have. And, yeah, just generally creating a project that's not self-oriented okay. self or self-centered, but focuses on the giving back initiatives as well. So, so trying to avoid, I guess, being another cash grab. Exactly. Effectively. Yeah. Because cash grabs take up about 99% of the space, unfortunately. Yeah. You've, yeah. Got, you've got projects promising ridiculous roadmaps, but then they just have no ambition to execute on those roadmaps. They just do it to get a massive sellout revenue, the founders walk away with a couple million dollars and then all those community members are left holding the bag. Um, yeah, because that's one of the structural problems, right? Like you, you're taking a big risk buying any NFT project. Um, it's, I mean, I mean you're, you're giving all the cash up front um, and you're being promised things down the line. There, there's no like scaling into the position effectively. Like you do an mint. Exactly. Um, so it is definitely a riskier side of the crypto space, but it is a developing side of the crypto space. And as always, early adopters and successful projects are the ones that are going to get rewarded. Um, and unfortunately, there will always be bad actors. There's nothing one can do about that. Um, and I mean, the biggest problem we have in crypto, you know, outside of the NFT space as well, just crypto in general, is that things work in reverse to the real world. You know, in the real world, if you want to start a company, you got to build a product first, then sell the product. And it's a few years before the product or the project, the company actually generates revenue. Where crypto, you launch your project as an idea, you sell it with an IDO or an NFT drop. And basically then you're sitting with all this capital and an idea. And then it comes to a point where you can either just walk away with the money or do you remain motivated to executing on your goals? 
And unfortunately, there are so many projects out there that just don't execute because they're sitting in on all this capital. They know that there's no capital coming in for the next two years of development until product is out there. So is the motivation there to continue or do they just walk away? And that's just one of the biggest problems that we have in crypto with a lot of startups and new projects. Something that definitely needs to be fleshed out. Um, before I ask my final question, uh, we do have a couple of live listeners. If you guys want to jump in and maybe ask uh, John T, our resident uh, NFT project guru, uh, a question, please jump on the on the call button now. Um, otherwise, I'll go ahead and ask uh, the final question of the evening. Um, so yeah, John's. What was the most important thing you need you you and Pete decided to focus on? And I, I mean, you and I spoke about when when I saw you um, last week. We spoke a lot about balance, and you know, you're involved in a ton of things between your you know your trading and looking in markets and the podcast with us and obviously the NFT project and a bunch of other things. How did you, and I know you've learned a, a couple of tough lessons and maybe elaborate on this, um, about focus, about streamlining. What is the what is the biggest thing with the NFT project that you've figured out that you need to focus on within the project to add the most value as a founder? Is it having fingers in everything? Is it one particular thing? Is it the marketing side of things? What is it? And what can people take from, from your experience? Yeah, I mean, I think... One, on a macro scale, my career in crypto, you know, has been developing over the years. And one thing I've, I've become as a trader, um, you know, as well as project founder of various different projects and, you know, the NFT being one, another big project that our guy in TradFi and I are busy developing out, which will be launching later this year, which we can chat about in a later episode. Um, obviously, the podcast and, you know, building out a brand and things like that. There's a lot going on in the space. And it's very easy to get caught up in that. And one thing that I think is so important is to learn how to leverage your position in different things and find common ground. Um, you know, really flesh out what's happening. I know for a fact that a lot of the community members that, you know, are part of my NFT project listen into this podcast recordings um, to hear more from me, to hear from, from more from you guys and to learn more about the crypto space. And ultimately, it boils down to a basis of education and the sharing of knowledge. Um, you know, we are a community, we are open sourced, we are community governed, and that's the nature of crypto. And everyone shares with each other things that they learn and lessons that they learn. And, you know, I look back on 2021 as a year with endless opportunity, but a year where I didn't take advantage of it because I had too many things on my plate. And one thing I've realized as a founder, especially in the NFT space, is the delegation of tasks is incredibly important. Um, and community being the center of your focus is the most important aspect. If you have the community and project best interests at heart, um, rather than profits at heart, that's when you'll create a successful NFT project. Um, yeah, so I've learned over the year, over the, the past year and a bit that streamlining the focus onto critical aspects and delegating the secondary tasks to members that you trust is the best way of managing your time in the space, being able to work on multiple projects and really just fleshing out your ability to, to execute. That is the perfect way to end off 
end of the episode. Thanks, Q, for giving your insights. And uh, hopefully, you know, this can help the next person uh, start the next big NFT project, uh, a small framework for you to apply. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure you, you mentioned that uh, 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 the public comments on Wednesday can people must join the Discord uh, 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 sure. Yeah, Luca, I think I think you're losing connection or is it me? Um, <laughs> I'm not quite sure what was You going sound on. like a robot fruit. Yeah. Like you just disappeared and it was like Okay, it was me. Am I back? Am I back? Am I Yes, you're back, you're back. Am I back? Yes. Oh God. My my lovely internet is failing me. Um, well, yeah, I was just saying it's a that was a great way to end the episode. Can people still get in on the project? Um, you said public mints on Wednesday. Uh, is the Discord still open? And uh, can people still get in if they if they uh, join the community? Yeah, hundred percent. We are still uh, handing out whitelisting for early access to our public mint. Uh, we've got a couple of whale groups signed up to our project as well, um, which will be minting on public opens. So getting early access to the whitelist gives you access to the sale prior to those groups. Um, yeah, so definitely come over to the community. Just at Big Safari NFT on Twitter, and you'll find us, um, or just check us out on Discord. Our vanity link is the discord.gg-wildsafari. Uh, um, or you can find us on Medium, Wild Safari, or you can just search for us um, via our website, um, which is Wild Safari NFT as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's a lot of ways to get in touch with us. Come join our Discord. Come at me in the, in the general um, if you pull through from the podcast, uh, we can chat there. But yeah, it'd be awesome to see our viewers and our listeners um, in the community. And yeah, public mints on the 12th. Um, so yeah, exciting times ahead. And that's it. Good, it's going to be massive. Luck, I'm sure it's going to blow up. Yeah, Thank good you. luck, bro. I'm sure it's going sure to blow up. Um, thanks, boys, for a great episode. Uh, we'll see you all next week, Monday, for episode 10. Bye, everybody.